This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. ...conflict in our relationships, and specifically in our marriages. Now listen, conflict in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. God has created us each uniquely and wonderfully. Like we all have different personalities, different perspectives, different backgrounds. We all have different preferences that we bring to the table. And so because of our unique differences, this oftentimes can create situations where we are in conflict with one another. Imagine, you know, a couple trying to figure out where they want to go to dinner or a group of friends. You might have somebody that prefers Italian or someone that wants to go Asian or somebody that wants a steakhouse. There's no right or wrong answer. This is just a conflict that's brought on by our individual preferences. So we're, we're always going to deal with conflict, and conflict in and of itself is not a bad thing. But what we're going to talk about this morning is not conflict itself, but how we deal with that conflict. In how we deal with that conflict it can lead to devastating results in our relationship. It can ruin marriages. It can ruin friendships. It can sever families. So we want to know what is the right way to deal with the conflict that we're going to come in contact with every single day because of our differences, because of our preferences. But there are also times that there's conflict when somebody has hurt us when somebody has offended us. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. It's kind of the conflict that, man, it gets our blood boiling. (laughs) When someone does something to us that makes us so mad, that's the kind of conflict that can really destroy relationships. So we're going to do two things this morning. The first thing I want to do is look at where does that conflict come from? If we can understand the source of that conflict, it's going to give us the proper perspective in dealing with that conflict. Whether it's our marriage, whether it's a relationship with a boss, coworker, what have you, this is going to apply to every relationship you have. But we've got to know where it comes from. Once we know the source, then I'm going to give you a complete and exhaustive playbook. God's playbook from the Bible about how to deal with with conflict. There was one theologian that said, if you look at the New Testament, Jesus spent most of his time eating and arguing. We're a lot more like Jesus than we thought, huh? Like that's what he, he had conflict all the time. He had to deal with conflict. And so through God's word, we have all this amazing advice, all this direction about how to deal with conflict. So I'm going to give you the playbook on how to win at conflict. But let's start first with where does it come from? And who better to address this than James, who was the brother, the half-brother of Jesus? Now, there's a few different James in the New Testament. There's the two James that were disciples, but this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, not the disciple, and also the James that actually wrote the book of James in the New Testament, half-brother of Jesus. So think about this for a second. Imagine Jesus as your older brother. Think about that. Like, Jesus would have always made his bed, he would have eaten all of his vegetables, never said a coarse word to his parents, probably at dinner when the water didn't taste good, he just changed it into something that tasted a little better. Like, can you imagine, like, living with the perfect son of God as your older brother? So I think if anyone understands the context of maybe some jealousy, maybe some bitterness, maybe some, some issues that would have cropped up in James' life because Jesus was his older brother, 
you wonder if, you know, Mary and Joseph ever said, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? Like, good luck. Um, so he, he's someone who is an expert when it comes to interpersonal conflict. And look at what he says, starting in chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. He starts with this question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, if you honestly answer that question this morning, most of you would probably point to another person, right? If you've got a conflict this morning, if you've got an issue that's not resolved, usually we're going to say it's because of what that person said. It's because of what that person did. It's because of what that person didn't do. We always point to somebody else when it comes to conflict. Like, they did something that has impacted me, therefore, we're in conflict. It's somebody else's fault. Look at what James says next. Wait, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Hmm, James is not going to let us play the victim card. He is not going to let us blame what's happening, the conflict that we're dealing with, on somebody else. He's going to point it back to us. Isn't it the desire inside you that's causing the conflict? Think about this. Maybe um, your spouse has left you with the kids, and they've promised to be back by 5 o'clock. So you can then take a break and go to the meeting that you have scheduled at 6 o'clock. Well, it's 5.15 and your spouse isn't home yet. What's happening inside? You're starting to get upset. You're starting to think, what, how selfish? Like, why in the world haven't they called? Like, what, what is going on? I've got this meeting that I've got to be at. Now, even if it's the other person's fault, right? Like, we're trying to put the blame on the other person. And again, they might be at fault. But what's happening? That person is keeping you from something you want. You want to be at the meeting on time. This is a personal issue that you're battling. And for so many of us, we try to put that off on somebody else. And so James is saying, hey, let's be honest. When it comes to conflict, yes, people will be at fault. But at the core, it's this desire we have for things to work out in our favor and for people to do what we need them to do when they need to do it. He continues, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, James is writing to believers here, to Christians. So we can assume he's using hyperbole, exaggeration, like they're not killing one another. But his point is this. Like, listen, if you, if you handle conflict in the wrong way, it is going to kill your relationships. And you need to recognize that it starts, it starts with you. The reason you quarrel and fight is because you have desires that battle within you and that person is keeping you from getting what you want. Well, then James takes a radical turn in these verses. Look at what he says next. You do not have because you do not ask God. He does not say you do not have because the other person screwed up. No, he goes back to you, and for so many of us, and Pastor Byron addressed this in week one in this series, for so many of us, we have put so much emphasis on the other person in our life. Maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's a parent. Maybe that's a friend. Maybe that's a boss. Maybe that's a coworker. But you are relying on this other person to meet your needs. And God is saying, no, no, no. That I haven't created any other person in this world that is going to meet your needs. There is no other person that is going to bring you joy, no other person that's going to bring you satisfaction, no other person that's going to bring you fulfillment outside of me. 
The reason you do not have is because you do not ask God. But so many of us, the reason we don't have is because we're waiting on somebody else to provide it for us. And this is so critical when it comes to conflict. If we recognize, if we can recognize that God is our provider, God is our supplier, whatever desires and needs we have that we ask for with proper motivation, the Bible says he is going to give us everything we need for life and godliness. But if we look for those things in other people in our lives, we are going to be disappointed. We are setting ourselves up for failure. Now, can God use marriage? Can he use relationships? Can he use family to bring blessings in our life? Absolutely. Absolutely, God can use those things to to enhance our life. But if it is our sole focus that the other person is going to bring us joy and bring us happiness, we are going to miss the boat. So now knowing that, hey, conflict starts in here, what do we need to do to address it in our personal relationships? What is the conflict playbook? Now, this message is going to be very different from most of the ones, if you've come to C3 for a long time, whether it's Pastor Byron or me. Typically, we're going to walk through a passage, we're going to walk through a book, we're going to walk through a story. Today, I'm going to be all over the map, because I do want to give us an exhaustive playbook for how to handle conflict. So I'm going to be throwing verses at you left and right. Uh, There's going to be a lot of points. So if you want to try to keep up with me and take notes, feel free. I challenge you to do that. But if you just want to listen this morning, try to take everything in, as you leave, we are going to have the complete outline for you. So you'll have the playbook, how to win at conflict. So don't feel like you've got to get everything down. But we've got a lot to cover, and I want to make sure we understand when it comes to conflict, here is what Jesus instructs us to do. Number one, we overlook a lot. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Full show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Have you ever known someone that just loves to argue about everything? Like they make a comment about every little thing. They have got such a short fuse. Rhetorical question, please don't be like bumping your neighbor or your spouse right now. Like let's just think in our brains. Right, we've all, we've all dealt with those people. Sometimes it's us. We've got that short fuse. And what Solomon is saying here is like, listen, a fool has got a short temper. But someone who is wise is willing to overlook an insult or overlook an offense. There are so many things we deal with that we just need to let roll off of our backs. How many of you enjoy playing pickleball or have heard of pickleball? There's a few. I think we've got a paddle here somewhere for me. Yes, okay. So pickleball is um, like your poor man's tennis. So it's played on a smaller court. It's not quite as intense. Plastic paddle, plastic ball, a game for all ages. It's a lot of fun. So whether it's tennis or pickleball, sometimes before you start the game, you're just going to like volley to kind of warm up, right? So we're going to practice a few like love volleys. This is how it kind of should work in a relationship. Hey, babe, you look great tonight. Oh, thank you so much. Hey, I really appreciate you picking up the kids from school today. Oh, no problem. With all that you do for our family at home, it was my pleasure. Things are going good. But then someone decides to put a little pace and spin on the ball. Can't believe you forgot to take out the trash last night. Okay, now, now you've got an option, right? you got two options. One is to return it back with some pace and maybe even more spin this time. 
The reason I didn't take out the trash is because it looked like a bomb exploded in the kitchen and there was still stuff that needed to be put in the trash. Or, or, you can just let that one go. And then we're going to pick up another ball. Hey, babe, sorry I forgot the trash. I just set a reminder on my phone. Not going to forget next week. <laughs> totally changes things, right? Sometimes we have got to let some things go. We've got to overlook some things. Thank you very much for the uh, paddle. Appreciate that. Um, but so many times in our life, we let the little things, we let the little things pile up, and man, it does damage to our relationship. We have got to overlook a lot. And where, where we're able to do that is us having confidence in who we are in Christ, that God has created us. He has got a plan for our lives. And yes, people are sometimes going to insult us. Sometimes we're going to be offended. But most of the time, we're just going to let that junk go because we know God has got a plan for our lives, and it's going to make our relationships so much better. My wife and I, we've been married for 25 years this March. Yes, I cannot believe she made it that long, but she has. Um, but, you know, we, we go to weddings, and sometimes the videographer will come by and, uh, you know, tell you to give advice to the bride and groom, or you write it down on a piece of paper. But the advice that we always give is don't sweat the small stuff. Like, listen, you are going to deal with enough big stuff in life, right? You're going to deal with some heavy issues in your relationships. If we make a big deal out of all the conflict in our relationships, we are going to be in a world of hurt. We have got to let some things go. If we're a Christ follower, we're going to overlook a lot when it comes to conflict. But notice it says we're going to overlook a lot. It doesn't say we're going to overlook everything. If there are instances in your relationship where there is physical abuse, verbal abuse, long-term negative damage being done to the relationship, those things need to be addressed. Those things need to be confronted. And we need to pray for wisdom and how to determine what we can let go, what we need to address. We need to have people in our lives that can help us determine how to be wise in those situations, what to address and what to let go. But if we've got to address conflict in our marriage or in our relationships, that brings us to number two, we address conflict gently. We confront gently. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 6.1. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So even if there's someone who is in the wrong in the relationship, our role is to restore them gently gently. What does that look like? What is the litmus test for restoring someone gently? Hey, listen, if you were excited to confront somebody, if you have got your list and your outline and you are ready to give it to them and let them know how many ways they were wrong and you've got all your arguments set and ready to go, you are not ready to restore them gently. That should be your litmus test. You should never be excited about this kind of confrontation. So if you are in that place, take a step back, deep breath, pray about it. Then we're going to address whatever the issue might be, but we're going to address it in a gentle manner. And here's how we do that. First, we're going to use I language about our feelings, not you language about their actions. I language about our feelings, not you language about their actions. As soon as we start to use the word, you did this, you did that, it puts them on the defensive. Listen to the difference. You hurt me versus I was hurt when. Or you're never at home 
versus I really want to spend more time with you, and I recognize our schedules are crazy right now with work and the kids. Can we just take a few minutes and maybe plan a date night or plan some time that we can spend together? Same conversation, but very, very different results if we will use I language, how it's affecting us, and we're not going to put the other person on the defensive. Secondly, we're going to avoid using always and never. Anytime we use superlatives, we immediately communicate that there's a fundamental problem with the other person. If they always do something or never do something, there must be something at their core that is just so broken and so wrong. But we know that's not the case. For most of us, we might have some recurring issues that we've got to address or we've got some weaknesses, but it's not the core of who we are. And so we do not want to use always and never when we're addressing issues in our marriage or in our other relationships. Which brings us to the next one. We're going to attack the problem, not the person. Man, we have got to deal with conflict by respecting the other person, where they know they are valued, that we are going to deal with the problem, and we recognize there's a conflict or a problem, but we are not name-calling, we are not using sarcasm, we are not pointing fingers, we are not making the other one feel less than. We're going to make sure they're respected. If you remember last week, Pastor Byron talked about if you're in the middle of conflict or if you have to say something negative to somebody, you should say five positive things before you address the one negative. That's going to remind people that they have value in their lives, that you care for them as a person, and I just want to deal with the problem. Okay, next one. We're going to resolve one conflict at a time. All right, ladies, I'm going to address you guys first, so listen up. Um, last week, Pastor Byron put this illustration on the screen, and he talked about how men's brains work versus the female brain for the most part. So men, we're on the right. We've got like very defined walls and rooms in our house. And we can be in one room at one time focused on whatever is going on in that room. Ladies, typically, you don't have any walls and your brain can be going a thousand miles an hour in every single direction all at once. And it is amazing. It is a spiritual gift. We, we do not have that spiritual gift. So when it comes to addressing conflict, especially ladies, if you're having to address your husband with something, do not pile on. We can handle one thing at a time. We, we, can, we can be in the hobbies room, and, and you, can, you can address how often we play golf, and let's just talk about that right now. If something else comes to your mind, like something we forgot to do, just table that, write it down. Let's address the golf issue. Give us some time to kind of process, be ready to go. Gently grab us by the hand walk us into the next room, and now we can address this issue. Like, our, our brains will short-circuit, I promise you, if you try to pile on. We cannot handle it. Okay, men, here's our issue. We like to get historical. So many times, we're going to... Oh, somebody knows exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, some of you, you've, you've had a conflict, you've resolved it, the issue's all good, Something else comes up, and you're mad, and so you're going back to something that's already been solved, that you've already resolved in your relationship. Do not bring up stuff that's in the past. Let's not get historical when it comes to our relationships. Finally, we are going to avoid public confrontation. If we are going to restore gently, we are not going to do it in public. 
Now listen, there's a difference between like fun disagreements. We can do those publicly. But when it comes to confrontation, we're not going to do that. So imagine like my wife and I are on a date and we're talking about college football as we do. And um, she's trying to convince me that UCF has got this amazing football team that they won. Yep, yep. They won a national championship a few years ago. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. Uh, you gave that national championship to yourself. Like, I don't think anyone else agrees that you have a national championship. But if you want to believe that, like, totally fine. Whereas Florida State, we've got, we got three undisputed national championships. Like, you can talk to anybody, and there's no dispute who won the national championships in those years. So you can have fun, lighthearted disagreements. That is not an issue. The issue becomes when you've got to confront something in the relationship, do not do that publicly. You make sure you do that privately. And listen, those of you with kids, if you're parents, do not confront in front of your children, if at all possible. And that sometimes, like something comes up in the car, kids are in the back seat, and you're just like, uh-uh, I cannot let this go. Like, I've got to address it. Let it go. Wait till later. We do not want our kids to see us in an unhealthy place. And listen, it's going to happen. Like sometimes, my wife and I will admit, there have been a number of times that we've done things had conversations that we shouldn't have had in front of the kids. If that happens, please make sure you apologize not only to your spouse, but also to your kids. I mean, your kids are going to learn more about conflict resolution from watching you as mom and dad and how you deal with things more than anything they're going to hear. So let's do the best we can to model it for our kids. Okay, so that's how we're going to address conflict gently. Second, or Thirdly, we're going to listen twice as much as we talk. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Proverbs 18, 13, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Listen, seek first to understand, then to be understood. But how many times do we flip that? Right, we are so desperate for people to understand our perspective, so desperate for people to understand where we're coming from, that we don't give them a chance to speak their mind. We don't give them a chance to speak and for us to listen. So, James is saying, no, 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 we're going to seek first to understand, then we will have the opportunity to be understood. Um, he uses that phrase, quick to listen, and I always go back to, I grew up playing baseball, and I remember even early on when I was like five and six years old, the coaches would really talk about ready position. Like the pitcher was about to pitch, you needed to be on your toes, kind of lean forward, ready for that ball to come to you. That is how we need to approach, how we need to posture ourselves when it comes to conflict. We need to be ready to listen. We're not going to listen quickly, but we are going to be quick to listen. How do we do that? Number one, we do not interrupt. We let them express themselves fully. When we interrupt, basically what we're communicating is, ah, my thoughts are more important than yours. Let me, let me chime in here real quick. No, no, no. We want to value them as a person. Let them fully express whatever is on their mind. We are going to let them get it out of their chest and say what they need to say, then we're going to have the opportunity to address it. Become a pro at asking questions. This is so critical. There are going to be times where you do not understand what's going on with your spouse or with your friend. Like, they're trying to share it with you, and you're like a deer in headlights. Like, I hear you saying something, but I still don't know what exactly the problem is. Because the problem isn't always the problem, right? What they're complaining about, what they're trying to communicate, usually isn't at the core of the issue. But if you learn to ask questions, if you learn to listen, if 
you don't understand, keep asking, I promise you, you're going to get to the middle of the onion. You just keep peeling back those layers, and you're going to be able to address what is actually going on in the relationship. Next, we do not give premature advice. So I talked about how, um, you know, I've been married for 25 years, and this is one I need a lot of help with. Um, So guys, I'm going to talk to you again. Um, So many times when our spouse comes to us, our wife comes to us, maybe it's a girlfriend, you, you automatically start thinking logically about how to solve their problem. So they're sharing whatever it is with you, and you're, you're in your brain going, yep, yep, okay, A equals B, yep, yep, B equals C, oh, answer, therefore A equals C. Hey, babe, let me interrupt you real quick. Here, I, I got the solution. You, you don't, your feelings don't need to be hurt because I just solved this logically. You, you know what's never happened in my relationship? I've never been in a conversation with Amanda where she's doing that, and I say, hey, listen, like I, I, I've solved your problem. If you will just do this, she has never said, oh, you know what? You're right. Like sometimes, sometimes I'm just so stupid. I didn't, because of your sheer force of logic, I now realize that my feelings weren't hurt. I, I wasn't offended. I, I'm so glad you're my husband. I love you. Thank you so much. I don't know about you, but that's never happened. So we've got to repress this urge. If we hear them sharing something with us and we think we've got the solution, keep the solution to yourself. How do we know when it's the right time to give advice? When you've been asked. When they ask you for the advice, that's when you give it. Yes. And listen, I promise you I'm talking with you, not at you, because if you talk to my wife, this is one of my weakest areas, and I really have to resist that urge to offer advice when she sometimes is just looking to be able to share things with me, to be heard. Okay, number four. We own our part of the problem, however small. This is the hardest thing to do as a human being. Whether you're male, female, this does not come naturally. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Man, how many of us enjoy confessing our sins to somebody else? How many of us enjoy saying, hey, like I really screwed up in that area? This is not something that we do naturally, so it's something we have to be really intentional about, but it's so important when it comes to bringing an air of humility to the conflict. When whoever you're in conflict with recognizes that you're owning at least part of the problem, whatever small part it might be, it is going to totally change the dynamic. So how do we do that? Number one, we've got to admit when we've been wrong. And we don't just say, I was wrong. We've got to say what we were wrong about. We've got to be specific. So if we make a mistake, be very clear, be very specific about what that mistake was. Secondly, we're going to apologize. Not only are we going to admit to what we've done and be specific, we're also going to apologize for what we've done and be specific. We say, I'm sorry for what we've done. How many times have you been in a situation where it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, yep, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, that's not an apology. But when you say, hey, I am so sorry that I did not text you when I was running late. My family is way more important to me. I should have taken a second and done that. I apologize. Very different. That is a true, heartfelt apology. And then finally, that third A is we're going to ask for forgiveness. 
So we're going to admit what we've done. We're going to apologize for what we've done. And then we're going to ask the other person to forgive us. Man, I tell you, the, the humility that brings into the situation is totally going to change the dynamic in how you deal with conflict in your marriage or in your relationships. Okay, number five, we are quick to forgive. Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. That last phrase is the critical part. Listen, the reason we're here this morning is because of the forgiveness that a holy God offered us through his son, Jesus Christ. All of us, we're broken. We've got sin in our life. It severed the relationship that we have with a perfect heavenly father. And instead of him enacting the justice that he could have enacted, he instead sent Jesus to live a perfect life, pay the penalty for all of our sins on the cross, and then he rose again on the third day so we could have an eternal relationship with our heavenly father. Listen, if God can do that for us, we can do that for other people. So many times we think the grievances against us are so much greater, but the reality is we have got to make sure the cross is bigger in our life and the grievances need to be smaller. There's a famous theologian, John Wesley, from the 17th, or 1700s, and he has this brilliant illustration, and I'm going to modernize it a little bit for us. So imagine you find out you've got this long-lost uncle who passed away, but he was secretly insanely rich. Like, no one in the family knew, but the guy was a gajillionaire. And so you, as a nephew, he's left you $10 million. So the attorney calls. He says, listen, there's a cashier's check at the bank for you. All you have to do is go tomorrow and pick it up. So things have been tight for you financially. And, and you've got this, like, beater of a car. Like, it is a piece of crap. Let's just be honest. And, and you get in your car, and you are heading to the bank, and that thing breaks down on you, like, 400 yards from the bank. Like, you can see the bank sign in the distance. Now, are you going to get out of that car and start kicking the tires, beating the hood, saying, you piece of crap, like, you always do that. I cannot believe I, I, I'm stuck with this junk of a car. No, you're not going to do that. What are you going to do? You're going to gladly leave that thing by the side of the road. You're going to put a big smile on your face, and you're going to sprint right to that bank and get your $10 million. You can buy whatever car you want to. But listen, so many of us, like that is the attitude we have when it comes to grievances against us. We forget. We forget what God has done for us, what he has offered us in his son Jesus, that our sins are forgiven. We live in a life of freedom and that we can have an eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. When we have that perspective, the personal grievances against us, and they pale in comparison. And that's why Paul uses that analogy. Because you've been forgiven, you can also forgive. We've got to be quick to forgive. There's never been a successful marriage that I'm aware of or a successful relationship that doesn't have quick forgiveness at its core the ability to forgive, the ability to recognize that we are all broken, we are all messed up, sometimes more than others, but God has got the power to transform any relationship in this room. We have got to be quick to forgive. Number six, we are wise and patient in our timing. 
The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken at the proper time. Now, I'm going to be honest. Um, Solomon in Proverbs 25, when he says, like apples of gold in settings of silver, I didn't really do the research. I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds pretty good. I'm, I'm sure he's trying to convey something that's pretty positive. But he compares that to a word spoken at the proper time. Now, here's what we all know to be true, right? We all know it's not just what we say. We all know it's not just how we say it, but it's also when we say it. Timing is so critical when it comes to addressing conflict in your relationships. Like wives, if your husband has just been doing yard work for two hours and he comes in all hot and sweaty and he just needs a drink, he needs to relax for a few minutes, as soon as he walks in the door, if you start berating him about the baseboard that he hasn't fixed yet, maybe it needs to be addressed, not the right time. Ladies, or excuse me, men, I just dealt with the ladies, sorry. Men, let's, let's talk about you. Hey, if, if your wife has just had it out with one of the kids and, and she's coming out of the room and you can tell it was like emotional, it was intense, not the time to ask if she wants to be intimate. Let's, let's save that, right, for a, a, another time. Let's be wise in our timing of our conversations. There's that verse that talks about don't let the sun go down on your anger. And, and that's a great kind of rule of thumb, but that's not literal, right? Like, you're going you're gonna to have fights at night, and then what do you do? Like, you've got to wait the full cycle? No, no, no. The, the, the point of that verse is there, there are going to be times where we've got to, we, we want to address the conflict, but we need to give it some time. That you might not be in a place, both of you or either one of you, to address the conflict. And so a good rule of thumb is, hey, let's, let's take 24 hours. Let's table this. Let's both calm down. Let's both pray through it. And then let's agree to come back and discuss the issue when we're in a better position to do that. So again, this is a terrible idea if you don't ever come back to it. But sometimes you can give some time and then just make sure you come back to address the issue. All right, number seven, our last one. We commit to a posture of hope. I, I am going to talk specifically to those of you that are married for just a few minutes. Um, I know that there are some marriages in this room where you've allowed the hope to leave. And when you allow hope to leave, despair is going to enter. You, you're going to be in a place where you start saying things, uh, I just, I don't think this is going to work out. I, I'm, I'm too broken. Or they're too broken. Or we have irreconcilable differences. Listen, God is in the business of irreconcilable differences. The hope that comes to the person of Jesus Christ, there is nothing ever too far gone. There is nothing ever too far dead. He proved that when he rose again from the grave. If you feel like your marriage is on life support, if you feel like your marriage is at the end, I beg you, bring the hope of Christ right into the middle of it. He can absolutely resurrect your marriage. He can resurrect your relationship. But we have got to keep that glimmer of hope. Christ died to make a great marriage possible. Now remember, uh, you singles, please don't think marriage is the end-all, be-all. Like, there are so many places in Scripture 
where God blesses individuals that are not married. And I think sometimes in our Western culture, we feel like that's the ultimate goal. We got to get married. No, there are so many people used in the word of God in the New Testament that were single. Please don't think marriage is, is the end all be all. The point of marriage, and it is a blessing and it is a wonderful thing. The point of marriage is to paint the picture of how much Jesus loves the church. That is the point of marriage. And so listen, if you are married, if you are married, before you give up on your marriage, give the power of grace a chance. Invite Christ right into the middle of it. However hard things are right now, however difficult, however overwhelming it feels, I promise you God wants nothing more than to take something broken and turn it into something beautiful. If you are still married, God has got a plan for your marriage. Hey, listen, we, we did address a lot this morning. I appreciate you being patient with me and us getting through the exhaustive playbook on how to deal with conflict. But this last thing I want to say, we can try all we want with our best effort. We, we can try to take this list, memorize it, and do everything we can. You will not be able to implement this in your life without the power of Christ. You, you cannot do this in your own power. And so if you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to ask Christ into your life, to, to choose to follow him, to recognize that he died on the cross for your sins so that you could have an eternal relationship with your heavenly father. Man, it is such a simple thing. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It is simply acknowledging that you've got this sin in your life and that Christ paid the penalty for it and that you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. You will enter into that perfect relationship. And when you do that, God promises the power of the Holy Spirit. That is God's actual living presence inside of us. And that is what gives us the power to live life like this. That is what gives us the power to resolve conflict in our relationships. We cannot do it on our own. So I'm going to ask that everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. And if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision to pray to receive Christ and you want to do that, we want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray a short prayer. You can repeat it out loud or you can just say it in your heart. But you say, dear Jesus, I, I acknowledge and admit I've got this sin in my life and I, I, I know that I'm broken, but I recognize that you came to earth, you lived a perfect life and you paid the penalty for my sin and made the ultimate sacrifice so that I could be forgiven. Not just my past sins, but my present sins and even my future sins. And Lord, that because you rose again on the third day, I have got the hope of an eternal relationship with you and the power of your presence in my life. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.